Can we give it up for Lauren? Just give her a hand. She has the most beautiful voice. I love it. I love worship. Well, hello. Um, hello. Good morning. Um, I am so excited to be here with you today. Um, as I've been here often, um, actually filling in for Lauren a lot. <laughs> um, so this is new to actually share what God has on my heart for you today. Um, and I just wanted to say maybe just a little blurb about me um, and like what brought me to California because I'm not Californian. Um, actually, I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida and um, grew up there for 18 years of my actually 23 years of my life um, and came out here to study at Fuller. But the crazy thing was is that I was looking for grad schools and three of the schools that I was looking for were Azusa, Biola, and Fuller, and I had no idea where any of those schools were. And when I looked up all of their addresses, they were all in LA area. And I was like, what's going on, Lord? Are you sending me to LA for some reason? I don't have any family out here. Everyone's on the East Coast. All my family's from New York. Uh, we're very much East Coast through and through. So I was like, what's what's LA? Um, <laughs> but uh, what's crazy is I've been here for five years, going on six years. And in the time that I've been here, um, I have been working as a music teacher. So I'm a full-time music teacher. I teach now kindergarten through eighth grade general music. Um, and I've been um, doing fuller part-time. And I actually uh, walked in the spring. So I have my last two classes and my last two weeks of my last two classes right now at Fuller. And I'm so excited to finally almost be done, <laughs> uh, which is great because I've been here for five years. And I'm actually glad that I, um, I took my time um, in L.A. and I actually experienced um, this beautiful community and, and just doing ministry out here while I uh, was at Fuller. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see what the future holds after this. But in the meantime, I'm really glad that I get to experience new people, new things, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in my time at Fuller, I met Ryan. And um, that's how this connection happened. And it's been really cool to see his, like, idea in fruition um, with all of you. So it's really, really cool to be here and share with you. Um, yeah, so with that said, I just kind of just want to pray us in, and then we'll just dive right in. Cool? Father, I just thank you so much for your presence, God. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this community, Jesus. And I invite you into this space, Holy Spirit. I invite you to just speak to us, open our hearts, God, and just plant seeds, Jesus, where they need to be planted, water seeds where they need to be watered. And grow things where they need to be grown. And um, yeah, we give this whole time to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I have a pet peeve. I think a lot of us might have pet peeves. Um, <laughs> and one of my pet peeves, especially this week. I don't know what it is about this week, but it's been so hot. And um, I have my, my car spot at my school is outside. So literally for eight hours, it's just roasting in the sun, right? Um, so who else hates it when they get into their car and it's blistering hot, blistering hot? Um, and I'm from Florida, so I'm used to the heat. 
definitely used to heat, but it's different. You know, people ask me all the time, what do you like better, Florida heat or California heat? And I'm like, there's no relief. They both are terrible. You know, um, either you want a sauna or you want an oven, either one, you're going to have heat. You know what I mean? So I get into my car and though the, here's where the pet peeve comes in. That's not even the pet peeve. Um, <laughs> but when you get into the car and as soon as you turn on the car, you want to blast the AC, right? So you blast the AC, but it's only cold in this, this direction, right? So you only get like cold air coming here, but everywhere else in the car and everywhere else like in, on your body is like so hot, right? So there's like no blending. You have to wait till you drive and let it like blend the coldness blending with the heat, right? But that initial feeling of feeling just coldness and just heat at the same time, I don't know. It just gives me an uneasy feeling. Kind of feels like, ah, like this shouldn't be like, it should be just cold or just hot. Right. Um, but that uneasy feeling is my pet peeve. And I think about um, what we're going to talk about and we're going to dive into today. And this morning we're going to explore this kind of binary. Um, but when it comes to joy and fear. And sometimes joy and fear can feel like they're oxymorons and shouldn't be happening at the same time, but often it does happen at the same time, right? So there are certain contexts where we just feel joy. I just feel the heat before I turn on my AC. And then there's sometimes where I just feel an overwhelming coolness, right? With joy and hope. And I, re- I feel really good and comfortable in that space. I don't know about you, but I like actually, like, you be cold, more cold than hot. Um, go figure. I'm from Florida. But <laughs> I love the cold. Um, anyways, but what I'm, we're going to talk about today is this feeling of joy and fear. And sometimes when we're in fear, um, our tendency is to suppress it. Our tendency is just to feel like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way because I'm Christian. <laughs> or I shouldn't be feeling this way because I need to have positive vibes. Or I shouldn't be feeling this way because the X, Y, and Z, right? We always give a reason for that. But then in our joy, sometimes we can still feel fear. And then we think, wait a minute, this, is, this shouldn't be. Why is there a presence of fear when I'm joyful, you know? So we're going to kind of like try to dive into that kind of concept, And, um, yeah, and as Christians, we're commanded sometimes um, not to fear in the Bible, right? So there's um, a few um, uh, verses I'm going to go through right now just for those in the back. These are not on the screen, so I'm just going to shout them out. (laughs) Um, So in 1 John 4, 18, it says, Whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. That one hurts me all the time. (laughs) I'm like, oh, like, ouch. Dang, like that's that's pretty uh, uneasy. Like I feel really uncomfortable listening to that because I'm like, dang. Well, then I guess I'm not perfected in love. Okay, because I definitely feel fear. In Second Corinthians, it says, and Second Corinthians seven one, it says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and of spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. Okay, that connotation I get: fear of God, a reverence and awe. Okay, that makes sense to me. Okay. Philippians 1.14, it says, And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Oh, man. Like, 
well, that's for the sanctified. That's for the people who've been through it with the Lord and have been super close to God. You know, like they're fearless. I don't know if I'm there yet, but it still makes sense to me, but I don't know if that's for me. Right. Then we go on in Philippians again, and it says another connotation that's different. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So in the Bible, we have this, a lot of different connotations of fear. Um, and sometimes for me, when I read the word, um, my narration kind of in, within me, my own dialogue, kind of just feels like restless when you're thinking of fear. Because it's like, I want to fear the Lord, but I'm feeling this fear and this overwhelming anxiety, but I want to fear the Lord, you know? So definitely there's a semantic range to the word fear that is worth diving into. And I wish I had time to go into a word study of fear. Um, But I want to focus on one connotation in particular. And that feeling of fear that we get when we are waiting for something that we really want from God. Right? So maybe it's a breakthrough in a certain area. A job we've always wanted. Or a dream or a goal that we're trying to meet. A specific desire um, that he has placed in our heart. It might be something, right? So I'm going to give a little space right now for us to reflect. I'll give you like maybe like 30 seconds just to think and ponder in your heart. What is that one thing that I'm waiting for? And I'm waiting for God to answer or um, expecting to happen. And maybe there's not something right now. Maybe you're living in that fulfillment. Well, what is something that maybe you have been wanting or waiting for? Think about that instance as well. So I'm going to give us space just to think about that for a little bit. So as I talk today, we're going to be thinking about that. I want you to have that kind of like as a in the front burner of your mind as we go through um, the different texts today. Because in the interim of not knowing whether it's going to come to pass or not, uh, we can go through high highs and low lows of terrifying fear that maybe it'll never happen. Maybe uh, it's been so long, I don't know if it's going to happen. Or low, uh, well, or high waves of overwhelming hope and joy that it is going to come to pass. Even that one little inch of progress can make us feel like, oh, like this overwhelming sense of joy and hope, right? I heard a quote this week um, from a business guru, author, writer, business teacher I follow. Um, His name is Seth Godin, and some of you might know who he is. Um, But he says something that was simple, yet refreshing to hear from someone who has been through each stage multiple times of dreaming, envisioning, wanting, waiting and execution. And this is what he says. What we reward, bracket, in society, bracket, is fearlessness. But what I want to argue is that there is no such thing as fearlessness. If you are smart and alert, you cannot walk through this world without fear. You can pretend you don't have fear, but you have fear. The, uh, the more essential your work is, to where you are going, the more likely is likely it is that you'll fear, right? So how do we put this, like, a biblical, like, feeling to this? The fact is that, is that as Christians, we are commanded to not fear in this world, but to fear God. But sometimes we get that mixed, we kind of, like, mix it up, right? And as Christians, we do a really good job sometimes of feeling 
um, of pretending to be fearless. And like, no, fear. No, I'm not going to go there, right? Um, But I think sometimes uh, we have a lack of understanding of how God approaches us when we do get overcome with fear. We spend a lot of time worrying about how do I approach God in the situation? How do I live my Christian walk with my fear? But sometimes we don't think about how does God approach me in this situation when I do exhibit fear or anxiety or worry. But in this life is inevitable. We're going to fear. And it's okay to name that. And it's okay to fear. But we do have power over the crippling power that fear presents in our life and it's through his love so to illustrate this in a concrete way i want to explore the marys of the gospel and the mary the marys that we're going to go through are the mary the mother of jesus the other mary that's at the tomb with mary magdalene And what we'll see here, our experience of joy and fear happening at the same time in three women. And their experiences, I think, give a full picture of what the Christian life is all about. So let's look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in Luke 2, yeah, Luke 2, 10, I'll just read it. Um, And it's also up here. If you have a bulletin, it's actually the wrong um, scripture reading. So just so you know. Um, but in verse 10, it says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David, um, in town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, A great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, uh, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had happened about this child. And all who heard, uh, and all who heard it, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I love this distinction that Luke makes. He makes a distinction of the others, which are the shepherds. And then he makes a distinction of Mary and how they both approached the word. The shepherds were amazed. They were amazed. They were wonderful. Like, oh my gosh, the Messiah, the one that our people had been wanting for generations is here. This is incredible. We got to tell everybody, right? They were amazed. But then they went on their way. They had the opportunity to just go on their way. Mary, it says Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart. It's a little bit deeper than just amazement and just wonder. It's literally these words are going to actually be um, a direct application of strength for me. 
So I need to ponder them in my heart. I need to meditate on them daily, daily, daily. Right? And let's think about Mary in her context first. If you were Mary, how would you respond? How would you respond to the angels? I love, like, thinking if I was in the shoes and going through this drama in my mind <laughs> when I read the Bible. Because it kind of puts in con- into context, how would I be feeling? Right? So let's think about it. She's a teenager, right? She's young. Um, scholars believe that she's between 13, 16 years old. So she's, she's young, right? She's living in a highly do- male-dominated society. Culturally, her word wouldn't have weight. So she would be considered crazy regardless, right? Uh, you're pregnant, but a virgin? Like, how does that happen, right? And then you have Joseph, who just is deciding, uh, is struggling with the fact, should I divorce her? Should I stay with her? Like, this is like a telenovela, like if there's no telenovelas, right? Like, I'm just thinking if I was Mary, I would say to God, is this the picture? Is this the picture of how the Messiah should be born into like, really? Like, like this looks really dysfunctional, right? Um, but this is it. This is the picture that God designs. He's born in suspicion. He's born in, in vagueness and, ah, like, uneasiness, right? So I'm thinking that even though in the word it says Mary, um, definitely her, her joy is there and her obedience is there. But there had to have been an element of fear. There had to have been an element of, can I do this, right? Can I go through this journey and leading um, the Messiah to who he's supposed to be? And here's his assignment, though. Here's the assignment that she ponders in her heart. In Luke one twenty nine, and this is not up there, by the way. Yeah. Um, in Luke one twenty nine, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, his being Um, Gabriel, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be a great, and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of David forever. And um, And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That word, his kingdom will never end, is a loaded assignment. It's a loaded promise. And Mary had to hold that promise for 33 years. And for 30 of those years, she waited for some semblance of the promise. Now, that's what we get in the biblical text. I'm sure maybe there's things that haven't been written, and there was experiences that she experienced as being his mother, that definitely there was, like, signs, right? But for what we get in the text, this is what we see. Then she waited three more years when he was 30 to even see his ministry and to even get a glimpse of what the kingdom um, might be right. So watching moments as Jesus heals and teaches and casts out demons, but then also be mocked and scorned by the leaders of the law, the extreme joy she must have felt to see even a glimpse of what the fulfillment of his assignment would be. And as a mother, and I'm not a mother, but as a mother, seeing her baby boy step into his calling and live out what she has encouraged him to be must have been like, amazing for her. And I have kids um, that I teach. I see 
550 kids a week, you know, and just to see them step into being, you know, a steady beat and singing on pitch and like wanting to do music more like that, that gives me joy and I'm not even their parent. So I couldn't even imagine what Mary could have been feeling. And yet the mocking and the scorning and the ridicule of her own people must have caused so much anxiety for her as well. She probably had moments of doubt asking, are you sure his kingdom will never end? But then on the flip side, she probably had to answer her own question with the word, with the assignment. His kingdom will never end. And she probably told herself over and over, his kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. Strengthening her, reminding her of who he is and who she is for Jesus, right? So many of us here might be like Mary. We're in a phase of life um, of waiting, potentially, or maybe you've been in a phase of life of waiting, and you're waiting for that promise, or you're waiting for that desire that you want from, from God. And if anyone is like me, you pro- may, maybe some of us are impatient. I can be super impatient, right? So in our impatience, um, sometimes we defer the promise. Huh. It'll happen later. It'll happen tomorrow. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe we've forgotten about it. Maybe um, we've even forgotten that I have a promise over my life, that I have a desire that is within me. And then maybe of us are stuck, or not stuck, but smack dab in the middle of that journey of feeling the hot and the cold and and the highs and the lows. But In whichever state you're in, God has a promise for you. And in that journey, towards that promise, fear and joy will exist. But the extreme of both will not overcome you. And to uh, to flesh this out a little bit more, we're going to look at the Marys at the end of the gospel story. So in Matthew 28, which will be on the screen, um, it says, in Matthew 28, 28, it says, after the Sabbath At dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he had said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then quickly go tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met him. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So in Luke, we see a Mary in the beginning of the journey. And the beginning will always be a little bit more anxiety-producing than the end. The Marys at the end of the Gospels experience the concrete reality of what the Mary in the beginning of the Gospels hoped for. 
they saw the tomb empty and walked with the Lord. There's something about seeing the fulfillment of an expectation, right? Where you're hoping and you're like, oh, snap, it actually happened, <laughs> right? Or I actually did that. Or even, you know, I don't know if you guys have any friends because sometimes I have friends who say that they're going to do something. They're like, oh, I'm going to do this, da, 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 and it's huge. And you're thinking, ah, that's great. But in the back of your mind, you're kind of like, eh, that's not going to happen. But then when they actually do it, you're like, oh, snap, you actually did it. Good for you, you know? Um, but there is this idea of like you're expecting, expecting. And then when it actually happens, you're like, you're kind of surprised that it actually happened, right? It's kind of like the same feeling. But for these Marys at the end, that overwhelming joy still had fear. Not just of the fact of, wow, like you were dead and now you're alive. Like that's just fear producing in general. You're like kind of freaked out. Like, oh my gosh, you're actually here. But then also for her people, they're thinking, you are the Messiah, our people don't know what they're in for. <laughs> You're here. The Messiah's here. He actually did it. Oh, man, we don't know what's going to go on after this, you know? So there's so much that's mixed in the middle, but both are present. So, I'm sorry, I lost my voice. So we can't be like the shepherds where we're amazed and then we kind of go on our way. That word that we're given We've got to be like the Marys. We have to be like the Marys at the end of the Gospels that run with fear and joy to the disciples and tell them the good news that he is risen. And we have to be like Mary, the mother of Jesus, who pondered the word in her heart, who didn't have time to just be intrigued by an amazing word that the angel Gabriel gave her. This word became a direct application of strength and truth in her life. Because when Jesus would eventually be arrested as an innocent man, she would have to use the word to strengthen herself. You said his kingdom would never end. When he was beaten, she spoke the word over herself. You said his kingdom would never end. When he was hung on a cross for you and me, she spoke the word over herself. You said his kingdom would never end. And he, when he was put into a tomb for three days, she spoke the word over herself and his body. You said his kingdom would never end. And then when he rose again in three days, she testified. You said his kingdom would never end. That's incredible. Incredible. So at the end of Matthew, we see Jesus, our Savior, get up from the tomb. The promise became alive in that moment. And here's the good news. He got up so we wouldn't have to get down. And even though that might sound a little cheesy, and you know what? It is cheesy, <laughs> but it's right. And because he got up, I can get up when fear overtakes me because I was given victory over every single power that be in this life through his resurrection. And no, we're not looking back. We're not terrified of the path ahead. And we're not going to pretend that fear isn't going to exist either. Look at Matthew again. The Marys were afraid and filled with joy. We can run this race with fear and joy together at the same time as the Marys did on that very first Resurrection Sunday. And here's the secret about running with both. 
Fear will not cancel my joy. Because the Lord is our strength and joy has power over the weakness of fear. But my joy will not delude my fear and cause me to fall into a disassociation from humility that loses reverence of the process and acceptance that I am a limited human being who needs an omniscient God. Because if I do, I will become blind. And I'll be thinking, I got it all together. I don't need God. So we need to run with both. And on the screen, you're going to see a piece of, um, a piece of the piece, <laughs> The Creation by Michelangelo. And which we, I think we already know that um, this is part of a larger work that's on the Sistine Chapel. And it's on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I love this piece for many reasons. But mainly because of that sliver little space between God's finger and Adam's finger. And this represents our Christian journey. We live in that tiny in-between space. Michelangelo spent hours and hours planning and working on an enormous, beautifully crafted painting, all for that one tiny little space to be the focus. And that is much like our lives. We desire to inch and inch towards God and what he has for us. But in that space is where we wait. And we will be frustrated. And we will succeed. And we'll be anxious. And we'll have peace. And we will doubt. And we will have joy. And we will have sorrow. But in every high and in every low, there are two things for certain. He is with us. And his kingdom will never end. So whatever you're searching for, I encourage you to go for it. Wrestle with God. May it become clear to you and run towards it with joy and fear, knowing that his kingdom will never end. And this word will be a direct application for you in your life. And let it be a space of refuge for your life. Amen. Amen.